0: the things we've asked for are kind of scary. We haven't had them most of our lives. So all of a sudden, if we say we want love and we've been wanting love since we were very little, we've wanted affection or attention or to be seen, we haven't gotten those things. Our system doesn't even know how to take them.
1: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast. Do you tune in regularly to Superhumans at Work podcast to get your ideas on how to be a superhuman at work? I would love to hear from you what has been some of the most transformational ideas that you have heard on this show and possibly feature you in one of our stories. Be sure to reach out to me at Jason at mindvalley.com and send me a quick email about your story of transformation so we can start a conversation and get you featured on Mindvalley. Now, let's get started with this episode hey everybody this is jason mark campbell welcome to another episode of superhumans at work the guest that i have today he's an amazing individual and i love having conversations with him every time because we get to go deep into the topics of spirituality personal growth taoist principles buddhist principles a mixture of all these amazing things that have been passed down through generations but how do we apply it right now today in times that may be more difficult than others especially with 2020 being one of the most interesting, confusing, challenging years that we've been through. We want to bring some topics here that might help you understand what we're navigating through. How do you go forward, move forward with this grace as we go through these periods? So Scott Mills, Dr. Scott Mills, PhD, M A B A N L P M P, a NLP, MP, a man with a lot of letters behind his name, has been working on the creation of the human evolution system. He's been known as the cross between Yoda and Bill Nye the science guy, which are two, one fictional, one real characters (laughs) that I highly admire. And we really wanna go and dig into this topic of resiliency. And so Dr. Scott Mills, thank you so much for coming here and sharing your wisdom. I'm so glad to have you here.
0: Oh, what a great time to be here. And I love that you're calling it interesting. You know, I think of that Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. And I feel like we are living in those times right now. And what a great time to be in conversation with all of these topics. So I'm so excited to be here with you, Jason.
1: Well, I wanted to put this at ground zero and kind of understand what's been going on with you. I mean, as we're filming this, we are midway through 2020. And I just want to hear like, what's been going on in your life? What have you been seeing? And what does this mean for the people?
0: Yeah, you know, it's a quite extraordinary time. Ground zero is a really good way to describe it. I'm living in Portland, Oregon, which for many people who've been watching from around the world, we have incredible disruption. And I, I use disruption in this very beautiful sense. We have a lot of disruption in terms of the Black Lives Movement. Protests happening now for, I believe today is day 76. When people listen to this, we'll see where we are still. But literally 76 days of protests. We're in the middle of COVID, at this point, 160,000 people have died in the U.S. With no end in sight, the models are not showing us shifting. So a lot going on and leading up in the U.S. to an election cycle that has potential to impact the rest of the world. And literally ground zero. So much happening, so much confusion, so much possibility. I mean, We're in this very ripe time where it feels like the egg is getting cracked something is getting ready to be revealed. And for those of us that are hopeful, something good may be coming, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain for the cracking that's happening.
1: Well, I wanted to jump into one topic, which I find would be interesting is that a lot of us, I know for myself, I'm trying to look at all these events with the positive, the silver lining, the, the all the benefits that can come from the other side of going through this pain. But for some people, it may be harder than others. Are you noticing what are the factors that are in play that make this easier for people or harder for people to cope with this huge disruption that we're seeing around the world?
0: Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting place. So I exist in this very interesting spot. I'm an academic in the world of personal development, which is not what most of us are in personal development. Gorgeous, gorgeous people, But I've been watching so much of personal development, both lift people up and also really discovering some of the shadow side of it. So I would say the first thing that's been helping people is to be real. I mean, this sounds silly, but talking to somebody today, actually talking to many people today, I've been teaching a lot of courses around this lately, around the experience of anger. And it's so funny because I keep seeing all these Facebook posts and all these people saying, don't be angry. You know, that's not healthy. Just be calm, be peaceful. And I've been saying to people, get really, really angry, get really, really angry, go out in the streets, protest, because as I learned from Katie Hendricks, anger is the notion or the experience of being violated. So if somebody steps on your feet in the middle of, the grocery store, you know, go, Oh, that's fine. It feels great. Maybe if they step off your feet, but if they step on your foot and they stay there, you know, which is what's been happening to a lot of us. And then by the way, they grind their heel into your toes, right? That doesn't sound so good. That's what's been happening to a lot of us. And anybody who says to you, Oh, just be like, okay, that's okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm busy creating my own experience here. Clearly I, I invited this. It's something that's supposed to happen. No, be like, get off my foot. Move over there. Be angry for a minute. It's not about living in anger, by the way. It's about noticing when something has been violated, when something's wrong in the world. And I was talking to my dear friend, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, today, brilliant psychoanalyst, and she said, you know, when you're angry, it means you're invested in something that you've owned it, that you're in relationship to it. So I'm not saying everybody get angry, but I'm saying, let's get real. Let's start to notice what's going on in our lives and let's begin to claim the emotions that we actually have. So for me, that's the biggest marker of what's been working for people is when they go, okay, well, I feel sad. You know, 160,000 people have died in the U S at this point. There is an enormous unspoken grief. Anyone who doesn't name that they're occasionally feeling sad or they're occasionally feeling anxious they can't actually deal with the life as it's working, you know, as what's happening. So that's the beginning point for me, is let's let's just get real and see what is. And to me that's that's what Buddhism is all about. Taoism, like all of these Eastern traditions that I live in, are about seeing what's real and not pretending.
1: And, you know, it makes me think of the quote, and I can't attribute it to the right source, where it talks about the fact that, you know, hate and anger isn't the opposite of love, but indifferences. And I feel like with the constraints that have been put forward now, it's like nobody can afford to be indifferent. I mean, we're all being faced with what you said, your quote unquote, the shadow to actually get to feel all of the things that were not equal, that were not working. And now it's it's more visceral than ever. It's almost like you don't have space to be indifferent anymore. You have to kind of take a stand and and really express what you've been bottling up because it's all coming out at this time. I even had Tara Nicole Nelson, which I interviewed a while back, actually named this time The Great Reset. And I thought that was a great term for it. And so I wanted to kind of pivot this towards the fact that I know you work a lot with the topic of resiliency. And I know that there's a lot of uh, ways that we can describe resiliency in a, in a way that is good, bad, or no judgment, but just different. But still, a lot of people feel that the act of resilience is just like, you know, suck it up, don't show that emotion and push forward. what is your response to people who usually operate in that way? I'm going to say something about judgment before we do that. It's
0: okay to judge things. Like we're humans, we're supposed to judge. If you go no judgment, like, I mean, we're living in America, right? Well, I'm living in America right now where people are killed for the color of their skin by police. I have lots of judgment. I'm just gonna own that. I have lots of judgment that that is not something that's right, that's not something that's good. We need to really check ourselves and, and become involved much more. And those of us like me who have this pasty colored skin, you know, maybe gets a little darker in the sun, we've been able to be outside of that sense of, this isn't happening to us, we've been able to ignore it. So there's a place for judgment and discernment. Those two words go together discernment about what's right and what's wrong. There's a moral compass that we can start stepping into. Now, as far as what you were asking me about, the traditional definition of resilience, which is what so many of us were raised with, is kind of the cowboys and Indians, you know, like buck up little camper, you know, you can get through this, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, just just have grit plus determination, which is kind of the, the key phrase here, and what I've been looking at, you know, it's funny because I'm talking a lot about anger. You can see I'm fired up today. <laughs> Usually, like, I'm this this really gentle, kind of compassionate spirit. And inside of that, I look and I go, okay, so what is it that the world is calling us to do? Is it calling us to be kind of gentle and mellow? Is it calling us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? Or is it actually calling us to evolve? You know, is it calling us to have a great reset? In order to do that, because that's what I think we're being called to do, is to reset, to evolve, to come together in a new way, and to form a planet that actually understands that these lines we've been living by are completely imaginary. The lines of race, the lines of country, the lines of economics, we're all one people, we're one planet. What what happens in Bali affects what happens in the U.S. What you do to the water affects to the water here. What you know, Russia does the air, affects the air in other places. Like, we're so interconnected. So I want to go for a place that is much more interconnected and evolved. So for me, I've been playing with resilience for a while now. And what I've been playing with is we don't just need resilience anymore. We need an evolved version of resilience. And I've been calling this super resilience. Now, I want everybody to take a breath when I say this, because, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, now I'm supposed to pull myself even more by my bootstraps. Am I supposed to pull them up to my, like, armpits now. No, this is not about doing it alone. This is really embracing Daniel Siegel's work and the power of the we, which is a little M, big W, little E, the place where me and we meet. This is very different than the American mythology and a lot of Western culture that says we just create our own reality, our own dream, we make it happen. And instead, what I've been advocating for is that super resilience is the capacity to trust life, to ask for what you need when you need it, to receive fully, and to give without expectation. And I'm going to repeat that because this is a very different definition. So to trust life, which is really hard, especially right now. This goes along really deeply with the Taoist concept of to be in flow with life, with the movement of life. So I think about this with go up when the river goes up, down when the river goes down. We move with the rhythm of life. Most of us in Western cultures are really trying to manage life. We're trying to swim upstream. We're trying when the river goes down to swim up anyway. So the first concept is really to be in flow with life, to trust it, and then to be able to ask for what you need when you need it, which trust me is harder than most people think, because even to know what we need is difficult. So to step into our hearts and ask, what is my heart's calling in this moment? And part of what I've loved is in the work I do, I will bring people into a place of safety and ask them, what do you need? Now, that's a very different answer you get than if I ask people from a place of ego. When I ask people from a place of ego, they want lots of money. They want success. They want the big car. When I just drop them into themselves, into a place of safety, I get things like, I want to feel loved. I want to connect. I want to be significant. I want people to see me. So really, really different. What is it you need in this moment? And can you ask for it? And then once you ask for it, can you actually receive it? Is it safe for you to receive those things that, that you've asked for? And for many of us, it's not because we've learned the things we've asked for are kind of scary We haven't had them most of our lives. So all of a sudden, if we say we want love and we've been wanting love since we were very little, we've wanted affection or attention or to be seen, but we haven't gotten those things, our system doesn't even know how to take them. It's like, what? No, no, I know how to be safe when I'm not seen, but what happens when I'm seen? And then we take it a step further and say to give without expectation. Lots of people give, but the idea of we give to others with no expectation of compensation of it coming back to us it's a whole other way to be in life like that's a way to be living in a generous spirit in a place of free flow with the life with the universe we don't give because we think somebody's going to give something back to us that's really about manipulation there's nothing about giving there or generosity so to me that's the definition that i start with with super resilience.
1: I think these are so beautiful ways to operate. And I wanted to kind of inject something for people that are listening to this, obviously thinking of it within a frame of the workplace, right? A lot of times it's like, if I look at like, okay, trust life, trust where the river flows, it feels like right now we're at a time where we stopped trusting a lot of the places we put our faith into. And I'm talking about, you know, particularly maybe corporations or governmental systems. And this is where I see like, you know, if we all focus on the we, then the me kind of might be taken care of. And so, for example, if I'm working in a company and I put trust in the mission and I let that carry me through, yet I feel like right now people are very much judging or resisting or questioning the ultimate trust that they've given to these institutions that hold a lot of power, if you're an employee within a corporation, for example. And I want to just know, like, where do you stand on that? What's the opinion on, is the place where I work, when you hear like a greater mission for the greater good being directed through a larger organization of people, should we have more blind trust? Should we be resisting, questioning? What, what parameters do we have here?
0: The answer to that question is right inside of there. Should we have more blind trust? Absolutely not. <laughs> So we, we, we don't want blind trust, right? The beauty of the we, in Daniel Siegel's frame, and I really appreciate his work, is that we're bringing ourselves to the table. So for so many of us who go to work, and you know, we were talking about the way your work is evolving earlier, you know, you're bringing more of yourself. You heard a call in yourself that this is the place that I feel the most able to give, the place that my strengths are most able to express, the things that are most important to me. So everyone needs to start in that place. Like, what is mine to do? What is mine to give? How am I here to serve? And all of us are going to have different gifts, different strengths, different ways that we can be giving to the world. So that's from the me perspective. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, it's funny. I think people misunderstand Buddhism, especially like I hear people rail against the ego. You know, that's the me, right? The part that knows who we are, that explores ourself. If we didn't have the ego, we wouldn't know who we were after we go to sleep you know, we wake up in the morning and be like, who's this person who just woke up in this bed? I have no idea, right? It's good to have an ego that helps us have identity coherence. We know who we are from day to day. Now that evolves. So inside of me, like I live by two questions. The first question I ask is how can I most be in service? Like, so really what's mine to give? The second question I ask is how can I be joyful and abundant? So I want those two to go together. But when I'm asking the question of how can I most be in service, I want to ask what's the organizations that I'm most in alignment with. Now, I'm going to tease here because Vishen Lakiani, who you work with quite closely in Mind Valley, has been on the warpath against companies like Coca Cola, against some of the fast food companies, and I celebrate that every single day. If you say, you know, should I go work for this company that is causing obesity, it's causing dis-ease and unhealthy experiences of people around the world? I'm going to say, absolutely not, right? That's not the flow of life. That's not flowing with our bodies. That's not flowing with nature. None of that is actually for what's good for the we. So I only want people to think about what are the companies, the organizations that gather together to work for the greatest good. And one of my favorite pieces here is if we would create the space for people to absent themselves from those kind of companies, they wouldn't exist, right? There would be no Coca-Cola selling high fructose corn syrup sodas to children, you know, creating obesity and diabetes and all of these other things that Vish has been so brilliantly speaking out against. And, you know, I got to just say this blows my mind that he's doing this because for so many people in a company like like Valley, they would say, oh, we can't do this because we're going to alienate people or people are going to get mad. But what he's actually doing is speaking truth to power, And for those of you who've been around long enough, you know that this is a slogan from the 60s that has real power, speak truth to power, right? There's real depth in that. So we don't want to blind trust. We actually want to bring our full selves into a company. And let's say you're in a company right now and you go, "Mm, okay, so this company's kind of doing some good things in the world, but they're also kind of off track. If you're bringing your full self in and you're in a place where you can speak your truth, you can actually help a company adjust course you know, when we talked before the conversation a few months ago, and I talked to you a little bit about being the difference between being a generator and a conduit. When you're being a generator, you know, you're there, you're trying to make things happen in your little tiny sphere of influence. You know, okay, well, I can do my job the best I can. When you're being a conduit, we have an idea, a vision a big something we want to create in the world. So this Coca-Cola idea is really, we want to create a world where every child is healthy, right? And when we look at a company that maybe is doing some of that, but some of the ways they're acting are not doing that. And we can start to say, hmm, how do I help shape this organization so that it's creating this mission, that I'm being a conduit for a change that makes sense to me? And, I'm going to say, I get that this is a position of privilege. If you are trying to put food on the table for your family and you're working minimum wage or you're, you know, you don't have enough to survive, you're going to first need to feed your family. So I just want to say this so people don't think I'm saying like, hey, quit, quit your job, you know, like let your family go hungry. The responsibility first is on the people like you and I, Jason, who have some privilege, who can actually stand up. And our responsibility is not just for ourselves, but those around us who have children, those who have other people they're responsible to. So we carry the bigger load. And I'm okay with that.
1: I'm really glad you brought that up because it was one of the questions I was going to ask is just like, hey, everybody's at a different place of abundance. You could say that, you know, have those extra freedoms that can take their energies and channel it towards things that are of higher impact. And I love that you brought it back on us. It's for us to be able to take those ideas. I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast, they can make some micro shifts within the organization. And I balk at the idea that you know as soon as something doesn't work at a company, that the easiest thing to do is to quit. And it's like, oh, they don't do this. So I quit when in fact, an influence you can make within that organization can actually shift it and transfer, transfer it into something that makes a bigger impact, that makes it more positive. And I think I think inherently we're all trying to do good, but it seems like we're caught in this web of dependencies, momentum, maybe blindness. Like you know, we talk a lot at Mind Valley about concepts between humanity plus and humanity minus. I don't think any company intentionally wants to be humanity minus. Would you have an opinion as to why is it that some companies find themselves in a situation where they're actually extracting so much when it doesn't seem like part of our human nature? It seems like where we actually would want to be helping everybody progress. So Is abundance the answer? Where would we go with that? So
0: (laughs) I don't know if it's because I've been sitting in the midst of all that's going on in the US for the last, oh, I don't know, six months or so in the last four years of an administration that doesn't feel very excited about being humanity plus that I'm sounding a little more jaded. But I would say that there are definitely companies that are humanity neutral. There are groups that actually, because they're thinking in such short term, the question of whether this is good for humanity isn't even showing up on the ledger. So that's the first thing I would notice that it's great to think that everybody's being humanity plus, but that's not always the case. You know, I started off by saying we got to be real. And one of the things, and this is not to be angry or nasty or to like call people out. I don't do that, but it is to say like, okay, well, is this company really humanity plus? Like I look at fossil fuel companies, for example, that know that what they're doing is damaging the planet, is damaging the health of people. Like my grandfather grew up working in a coal factory in Kentucky. So many people, his cousins, his brothers, ended up having black lung, getting all kinds of illness. The company didn't care about being humanity plus, they cared about a bottom line, and they thought very short term. Now, part of what's interesting is when we change the focus, so we're not thinking so short term, that we're thinking of generations forward, then it starts to shift what we're talking about. So one of the things, um, you know, I I taught money EQ with Ken Honda, which is just this brilliant class that Mind Valley offers. And one of the things that really inspired me about the way he thinks about money and the Japanese culture think about money is that the decisions that they make at least aspire to are to think, you know, 100 years in the future for generations forward. So I think part of this is just a perspective So many people have thought, like, this is about me, this moment, especially in the Western culture where we've been brought up to think, like, we make our own destiny, like, we're supposed to grab everything we can. You know, the one who dies with the most toys wins, you know, that kind of perspective. We've had that so ingrained in our culture that we've forgotten to think beyond this moment. It's a lot of what I think these oil companies have done these fossil fuel companies have done. But we start to think, wow, you know, I have children. I have grandchildren that will come. I have generations past me that it will come out. Then we start to shift our perspective. And we say, ah, okay. So if there's generations forward and there's a planet that we're responsible for, that we have stewardship for, which I think some really lovely movement is happening to. Like we're really starting to embrace this in some, some places. Then we can start to notice that, there's a bigger picture. And if you're in a company, I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but if you're in a company that is not thinking past this moment, that the bottom line is profit and it's not embracing people and planet, there are times when you do need to just leave and say, this is not a company that is going to create something positive. I'll tell you, when I was back in my acting days, So for a long time, I've had many lives, it seems like, in my almost 50 years now, which is crazy to to realize I'm almost 50. It's like, what? How did that happen? One of my lives was as an actor. And as we would do these acting exercises, sometimes we create machines, human machines. It's a silly exercise. Some of you may have done it, but we say, okay, we're going to create a love machine. We're going to create a a horror machine. We're going to create a destruction machine. Sometimes companies are machines like this. They have a spirit, they have an ethos, they have a construction of what they do, and sometimes the machine can't be changed just by having you as a part. Now, that is not to undermine people's capacity to change an organization. At the end of the day, I think when people connect to the pain that what they cause, you know, the pain they cause for their children, their grandchildren, there have been remarkable transformations. So anybody who's looking and going, oh, you know, I'm in a war machine, for example. we got a lot of those right now. We have a lot of war machines running the world. If we notice we're part of a war machine, and I grew, up, I grew up with both my parents working in the government, both top secret clearance. If you've ever seen the movie War Games, both my parents worked in the mountain in war games and in the Pentagon. So I'm used to war machines. There are places where you can shift to war machines because the people who run them have children, they have grandchildren, they have hearts, they have connections. So it's not to just up and leave. I would definitely encourage people to see, do what you can do. But there's a place where you just say, this is not going to create what I need. And, you know, you asked me about the reset, but Ray Anderson, who wrote the book, Cultural Creatives, talked about being in between stories. Many, many people have written about this, that we're in a place in between stories. We're in a place between. of a newtonian world in a quantum physics world where we're learning how to step into a new way of being many of our old ways of being we're going to have to step out of many of our old patterns we're going to have to step out of and this to me i mean this is actually the one of the strongest gifts of covid is that for so many of us it's shaken up so many of the patterns that we can actually see the stories the patterns the habits that it's time to step out of because they no longer serve ourselves or humanity.
1: Scott, I love having conversations with you because we always go into these amazing topics that really take it deep to make us reflect and think about how our behaviors create the world that we see today. And what I wanted to ask in closing is, as we transition the way you label this so beautiful from the Newtonian to the quantum here, what is one thing that people, if you could give something as a, As a start for people listening, what is one thing that you know would help the world so much if they would let go of? And what is something that people could embrace as they go through this transition?
0: So this is actually easier than people think. I just created this lovely little meditation. You can find it, by the way. So I gotta say say this. I promised I would talk about this. So with super resilience, one of the things that I did, I've been teaching the super resilience course that came out of COVID, that came out of this in-between place, this place in-between stories the initial intention, I actually didn't expect to teach it. I teach all this other stuff. You know, I've been teaching for God, 25 years now. I think it's my first university job. It was 25 years ago. Wow. So out of this COVID thing came all these people saying to me, the world didn't make sense to them anymore. Their lives didn't make sense. And they were ready for a shift. They were ready for a transformation. And so I started playing with like, how do we create this transformation? How do we reinvent ourselves? How do we reinvent our world? And what I realized and this is so simple, and this has been taught by spiritual teachers for thousands of years, is we become the change we wish to see in the world, as Gandhi said. We change ourselves. So I created this course to help people find a place in themselves to create the change, the peace, the calm, the center. And I'll say, just for fun, like we actually were charging for this course. And I watched so many people have these radical transformations in their lives because they were actually stepping into themselves. The one that was the most powerful to me of all these people, this one woman said to me, in the midst of everything going on, that her daughter had OD'd for the second time. And when you see people with addictions, here's what I want you to know. Addictions isn't about weakness. Addictions is about really emotionally available people who don't know how to deal with what's moving through them. So they look for ways to numb. This is my general approach to this. So her daughter, I don't want to name her daughter as a weak person in this story. I want you to know that her daughter was just, just overwhelmed by life. And so she went in, she helped her daughter. She said, you know, I went in, I worked with my daughter, I came home, I was solid, I was stable and I was safe. And it's because I had started to find a new place in myself for something new to emerge. So we decided to just give everyone this course who wants it across the world. By the time you're listening to this podcast, there'll be about 10,000 people in this course on every continent on the planet that's been changing people's lives. So please join us, by the way. Just go to bit.ly front slash gift.
1: Well, Scott, what I'll do is I'll, I'll make sure this is in the show notes so people can just go into show notes. You can find this. It's an absolutely free course about the resilience. It's a fantastic program. You'll definitely want to check that out.
0: Yeah, so thank you so much, Jason, because for me... This has become something that we need to teach people. It's the piece that moves the planet forward. So where people start, there's two simple things, I'm gonna share, actually three, three simple things. The first is we had to find a sense of safety in ourselves. We had to find a place where we're not threatened, challenged, exhausted by every moment of every day. And we just found the place where we could breathe and we could be free and we could be safe. Really simple sounds like. But the amazing thing as we've taught this course is there are so many people that if I say to them, where's the place for you that's safe? There is no place. So that's the first piece. Second piece is to acknowledge the support that's coming to you at every single direction. So all of us have more support than we think. We have so much support coming in from us. So, you know, this notion of working with Taoism, working with nature, There's no tree in nature that goes, oh my God, I'm not supported. Nobody gave me water. Nobody gave me sun. Nobody gave me whatever. There's support coming in all the time and they grow. So we accept all of the support and we begin to receive it. The third little piece here, so once we feel safe and we feel supported, is we listen to what's true for our heart. This is the piece that I think is the most transformational thing. And it's third, because what's fascinating is unless we feel safe and supported, it is very, very hard to get to what is our heart's calling in this moment. If we feel like, you know, there's not enough for anybody, you know, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. I'm not going to have a place to live. We're going to do whatever we have to do to survive. That's that survival instinct. But when we step into the place where, yes, I'm safe. Yes, I'm supported. Now I can really listen to my heart and I can start to name what's real. So if you're in a company that is creating death and destruction and disease, and you can go, oh, my heart's calling. First of all, I see this. I see what's real and I can name it. And my heart's calling is to create peace and love or health or whatever is true for you. Your heart's calling will never be, I promise you, I've worked with thousands and thousands of people around the world, I've never met somebody, at least nobody who will admit it, if it's true for them, that says my heart's calling is to create war and destruction. My heart's calling is to create disease. My heart's calling is to create pain and misery. It just doesn't happen. We're born social creatures. We're born to love. It's in our DNA. We come out of the womb. The first thing we do is look for the people we can connect to. So when you're able to feel safe, supported, and start to feel into your heart's calling, you go, oh, this place I'm in, it doesn't align with me. This company I'm in, it doesn't make sense. Or this company I'm in, it makes sense, but it just needs a little nudge of love in the right direction. So it doesn't have to be an exit, right? We don't have to pack up our toys and go home. In fact, usually I say to people, let's see if before you pack up your toys and go home, you can at least be heard. You can make a difference. Maybe you make an impact in somebody's life. So for me, those are the places we start. It sounds so simple And yet it's so profound because when we speak truth to power, like we were talking about earlier, when we speak our heart's calling, what's really honestly true for ourselves, we find ourselves connected in a way that we couldn't expect. I want to tell you one quick story just to close. I was in Las Vegas last year. And, you know, for anybody who's been watching American politics, you know, it's a little crazy place to be. And I was at a marketing conference, which is not normally my thing. I can't believe anybody would ever invite me to a marketing conference because I'm the person who's like, let's just like love each other and like look at our brains and, you know, they're not really a marketing guy. So I sit down at this table with a woman who says to me, we're probably on opposite sides of the fence. That's her introduction to me right that's her truth that's what she's calling out in the first moment of meeting me and i was like wow am i wearing a sign over my head i don't know about how do you know where i am and i said to her you know i've traveled all over the world i've worked with people all over the place and what i find is that people's hearts are pretty much the same everywhere i go people want to be healthy they want their kids to be healthy they want to be happy they want to be free They want to be able to express themselves. They want good jobs. They want clean air. It's not that complicated, right? We are the same. Your heart to my heart. We're the same. And so I looked at her and I said, I'm not going to be on any fence. I'm just going to be with you. And it was so amazing because this person who immediately judged me as enemy, right? Actually, after three days together, and we didn't spend a lot more time, we had a few more conversations. She said to me, I feel like you're a soul brother. Thank you so much for being in my life. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is because there've been so many places that we think when our heart speaks that it's to make other people small. It's to diminish. It's to negate. And one of the things that I want you to hear is our hearts all have similar callings. When we really sit down at a table together, when we let ourselves see each other for who we really are, we find that the similarities outweigh any difference. And so an organization can change pretty quickly, the same way a family can change pretty quickly, the same way a nonprofit can change pretty quickly. When we realize like, wow, we all want the same things and are the things we're doing taking us where we want to go? That's the place I want to play with people. That's the place I want people to, as they're listening to this podcast, say, okay, so let me not just hear my heart's calling but give myself permission to see the person who's sitting across an imaginary fence. Because I promise you, there was no fence between us. There was a table that we could move away from. And in that moment, we created a bond. We created connection. And if we could do that around the planet, this planet would be in a very different place than we are right now.
1: Scott, that's such an amazing way to close this. And you're right. I think as we start listening to each other, seeing each other, and just realizing that we're all in this quote unquote game, this life, with very similar ambitions to just have something good, do good and grow in ourselves as well. I think there's a lot of evolution that can happen, especially during these times where everything's being exposed, everything's coming to the surface. And so I'm hoping that everybody that listened to this, you have some very powerful prescriptives. You can take a check-in with yourself. You can listen to this and see which one of these principles really applies to you. And when you're in the workplace, start to see where you can make some small nudges because it could be from just a conversation with a colleague that you raise up It could be a voice out that you do at a meeting that really brings the values in more congruence with the actions that you take. And then maybe it's also to do a check-in on what is it that you want to do if you're in a position of privilege to start making sure that your efforts are put into a place that really shift the tide. I know for me, I have a quick story to close, which is I had the opportunity to work for a e-cigarette company at some point and... It's interesting because I wouldn't label this as good or bad as a general. I would label it as a bad for me as a non-smoker to encourage more people to take on e-cigarette would be considered a bad thing, humanity minus, yet if I was sitting as a smoker who actually transitioned from smoking to something that would be perceived less harsh, perhaps that was my humanity plus. And so I think we all have different perspectives that we come from. We don't all have the same idea of what a humanity plus, humanity minus is. But I think the more we have those conversations, build those bridges and not those fences, we can have those conversations that shift the whole planet towards a better place. And I think this is going to be a time that we get really shaken to make that transition. And so, Scott, thank you once again for coming on the podcast, sharing all this amazing wisdom. For everybody listening, make sure you go into the show notes. There is a link to the course about extreme super resiliency. You're going to want to go through this. So many people have had profound transformations and I wish the same to you and definitely give us some feedback. Leave a review on the podcast. Let us know what was the most shifting moment for you in this episode. And we can't wait to have you come on a future episode. And Scott, thank you so much for joining us as well.
0: Thank you, Jason, for all the amazing work you're doing in the world. You're really a conduit for huge change. And I know everybody who's listening can hear that and see that in all of the podcasts. So please listen to more of Jason. He's quite extraordinary. You are amazing, my friend.
1: I appreciate that, brother. Take care, everybody. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.